0: what's going on everybody welcome to another yogi misfit sessions i am danny pomploon and i'm your host so i'm hoping everyone had a good summer because it's time for the summer to start toning down which means that back to school and all the things that happen with back to school and everything that happens in life at this point in time I personally have been more on the, uh, the chill train. I had an epic summer. It was so much fun. I had a great time. I, uh, got to connect with a bunch of really good, uh, community members and yeah, I got to do a lot of really fun journeying this summer and I am just so pumped up that, um, I get to slow down a little bit and, and actually kind of tune inward. And that's been my goal um especially after my little like i did too much this summer and then burning man and all that stuff that kind of just compiled on one another and so now I'm, I'm gonna pump the brakes for a little bit and just enjoy and try my hardest to to relax a little bit and and to start to nurture myself and fill my cup up and uh yeah that's gonna be a lot of meditation practice and a lot of journaling and a lot of just sitting and, and seeing what happens with that and a lot more breath work too And uh, speaking of breathwork, so it's uh, session 87 today and I had Eddie Stern on the show. And so this is kind of funny because over the last month or so, I have been for some reason in this conversation of breath and the science of breath. And then Eddie popped up and we started to get into this organic conversation and he wrote this really awesome book. Uh, which I now have had a chance to read since, uh, since we've recorded the show. And it's an amazing book, but it really starts to break down the science of breathing and, and why when people actually tell you to take a deep breath to relax, how it actually works. Um, and it's cool because as yoga practitioners, I don't think we necessarily know that. Or even as human beings, you know, we, we just don't really know why it happens or why people tell us to take a deep breath. And so we dive into that. He's a really, really, really smart dude, really cool guy. And uh, who knows, we might be partnering up to do something fun a little bit later on. I want to give a big shout out and big love to uh, my friends over at SF Yoga Magazine, and I also wanted to tell everyone about my big charity yoga event happening in San Francisco. It is the One Love Movement San Francisco. This is the fourth year we're doing it. It's happening on Saturday, September 28th. It is myself, Stephanie Snyder, Peter Walters, and Julianne. And we're gonna be teaching um, to our yoga class to help raise money for homeless youth here in San Francisco. And yeah, it's cool because the entire event is 100%. In charity. So, no one makes a dollar off of it. Everything goes right back into the community. Uh, You can sign up using the links below. We would love to have you at the One Love event. If you can't come, you can still donate and just buy a ticket. Um, And of course, if you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes and it helps out a lot. But mainly, I want you to come to One Love more than anything else right now because we uh, get to take our yoga practice off our mats and into the world. Without further ado, here goes session 87. What's going on, Eddie? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. We finally got you on the show. <laughs> I'm glad to be here and thank you for your patience. No worries. No worries. So you're hanging out in New York right now? I'm in New York. That's my native land. How is uh, how is the uh, the yoga in New York doing these days? It's uh, going quite well as
1: far as I can see. Um, there are
0: tons of yoga schools everywhere and people
1: gallivanting around the streets with yoga mats dropped over their shoulders and carried under their arms. So it seems like yoga is pretty alive and well. It sounds like this yoga
0: thing is really taking off. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to last. <laughs> it's not going to last. Years <laughs> <laughs> And then we're done for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. I mean, it's just a fad in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Eddie, let's um let's kind of uh, let's move backwards a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about your yoga journey. I I I know you're a big Ashtanga practitioner, and you've uh, you've got a lot going on there in New York. But let's uh, let's let the listeners hear a little bit more about you and your journey and and where you're at now. Sure. Um, Where do you want me to start? I guess we'll start like how your love for Ashtanga. Like how did that all come about? Okay. Um, I had been doing
1: basically Shivananda yoga for a few years. And um, you know, in New York there were not a lot of yoga schools back in the nineteen eighties. There were a few of them. And um we had Dharma Mitra, Shivananda, Integral Yoga, Jiva Mukti and Kundalini. Mm -hmm. Maybe one or two other small little places. And uh, I was basically going to all of them. And um but Shivananda was mainly the place where I was going. And um that led me to take a teacher training in South India. Uh, of the shivananda yoga system Mm -hmm. after i took that training in 1988-89 i was traveling through india and i went through mysore and thought it was a really nice town and enjoyed the temples there and the next year when i was back in india traveling around again uh i went back through mysore because i was on my way to stay in an ashram in a place called the br hills and um okay the um i got sidetracked in mysore because there was a swami named Dayananda. Swami Dayananda was giving a week of Vedanta lectures and I decided to attend them. And on the very last day of the lectures, uh, there was a, um, I was there early and there was a communist bookstore across the street from the palace where the lectures were being held. And I went into the bookstore and was walking around and the old man in the bookstore said to me, what are you doing in India? And I said, I came here to try to learn some yoga. And he said, have you heard of Patabi Joyce? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, he's a great yoga master in India. You should go meet him. So um next day I went over to his house. The guy told me where he lived and um knocked on his door and he answered and I said, Can I do a yoga class with you? And he said, No, I'm all done for the day and you have to come for a month. And I said, Well, I'm leaving tomorrow, so maybe I can come another time and he gave me his card in the next year. Uh, you know, I went back to New York and told Sharon and David from Jiva Mukti about him and they had heard of him actually. And so I wrote him a letter and asked if we could come back and study with him the next year. And he said, yes. So we went back and we stayed for a month. And um, at that point, I um, was not super convinced that it was the yoga for me. But um, I thought that he he was teaching very direct method of yoga. And so the next year, I went back again, thinking maybe I'll try it for one month and see how it is. But I wasn't super convinced. And then I ended up staying for four months or so, and, and at that point, I really got into it. And that's when I decided it was the type of yoga that I wanted to try to dedicate myself to. That was in 1992, and so I've basically been focusing on this kind of yoga and yoga therapy-type things and also a lot of breathing and ritual and things like that um, since that time.
0: How is your so? W- how long were you actually out there total, and, and how long did you study there— uh, in, 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 uh, Mysore before you decided to come back and bring it out here? Um, I did a 20 hour weekend
1: intensive and then decided to come back and become a teacher. Okay. No, so that you, that was a joke. Go ahead.
0: Um, that, <laughs> well, I don't know if you were like, I was like, oh, he's going to tell us that he was working with someone else out here. <laughs> no, I am. Um, you saw a video once yeah. and then you decided to start teaching.
1: Exactly. It was before the internet and I saw something online The um I uh yeah (laughs) all of this is like pre-internet days. This is before Al Gore invented the internet. So I um went to Mysore basically every year, like literally every year, from nineteen ninety-one until Patabi Joyce passed away in two thousand and nine. And the longest time the longest time I ever spent there was fifteen months, basically straight. And um that was really hard. And my average trip would be three to four months. So pretty much like once a year for three to four months. And then after my daughter was born in the year 2000, our trips became shorter. We would basically spend like one or two months a year there until she went to school. And then when she started going to school, then we were only spending like, you know, sometimes two weeks and sometimes one month. And uh, towards the end of Padabi Joyce's life, I started going to my store a little bit more regularly. I would go like two or three times a year um, for the last two years that he was alive. When was the last time you were out there? You said you were in 20 what? Oh, the last time I was in Mysore. Yeah. Uh, well that was, um, two years ago. for Got it. Um, of course that Sherat was teaching, but I go to India every year. So we've done some trips with Sherat up to North India. And, um, so I'm sorry, we have a siren in the background right there. Uh, the joys of living in a city. Exactly. Um, but I basically go to India every year and, um, the, uh, but my trips to my store have become a little bit less frequent since Patabi Joyce passed away.
0: Got it. Okay. And so now you in, in New York, you've now brought Ashtanga in and you have your own school where you're leading trainings as well. Correct.
1: I had a school for 25 years. I just closed it down in March and, um, we had been in Manhattan for 20 years and then we moved out to brooklyn when we lost the building we were in and in brooklyn we were kind of in a location that was not good for us and it was hard for people to get to us so after sure. a few years we decided it wasn't working and closed down the school in march and moved back to manhattan so oh wow we're, we're without okay. school and um i'm just kind of taking it slowly now thinking about what i'm going to do next
0: baby steps <laughs> totally how did the book come about? Let's talk a little bit more about, um, uh, about the book. So one simple thing, and i I mean, I'd love to talk to you. I really want to dive into the book, uh, first, but uh, like how it came about and also the, the science behind it as well. I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about how the book came about, more details about the book. All right, cool. Um,
1: I began getting interested in science, um, around, let's see, probably about 20 years ago or so. And um, I was not a very good student academically. Uh, And when I got into yoga, mainly meditation, philosophy, chanting, and then later I started doing asanas. Um, And I was very much like that was my track. Um, And then um, Patabi Joyce used to talk a lot about how yoga was strengthening for the nervous system. And I wondered what the nervous system was and how it works. So I started buying books on the nervous system or on anatomy and physiology and really didn't make a lot of headway with that self-study. And then one day, about eight or nine years ago, a researcher from Long Island University walked into my yoga school and said, I'm doing the study on um, hypertensive conditions in African-Americans. And I wondered if you could design a protocol for me for the study. Uh, he had been recommended to me by uh, a student who knew him, and um, I said, "Sure, I, I'd be happy to try to do that." So we began working together, and um, the study started. And about two years later, the whole thing was completed. The results were quite positive, and then we continued to do work together. And we've been working together ever, ever since. We did a couple more studies together, and now we put out a conference called the Science and Yoga Yoga and Science Conference where oh, very researchers cool. present their research to kind of a lay public um, about what yoga and meditation specifically are doing to different aspects of our physiology. So uh, along the ways, when that interest was developing and I was doing research with him, I started wondering why it was that um, yoga practices seem to have the same effect on everyone, no matter what kind of yoga they seem to be doing. That they reported the same things. I feel stronger, more flexible. I'm happier. I get angry less. I'm a little bit healthier. My digestion has improved. My diet has improved. I sleep better. I'm a little more focused, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm more in touch with meaning in my life, all these things. And it, and it didn't seem to matter what kind of yoga people were doing. They were saying similar things. So I thought, well, yoga must be affecting some corrective mechanism um, within us that makes these things happen just because I don't even know what, like I was wondering, in, in fact, what is it that's doing that? And, um, and why it was that people who were looking for different things could come into the same class and have that thing they were looking for be addressed, whether it's back pain or sleep problems or being on a spiritual quest or whatever. Um, so that basically led to my investigations into the book, like what are the mechanisms, the underlying mechanisms that make yoga effective? And um, a lot of it has to do with the autonomic nervous system, with the vagus nerve, um, which is the, the large bundle in our parasympathetic nervous system, the downregulation of the sympathetic nervous system, as well as the um, different communication networks uh, within the brain. And uh, how they operate and communicate with each other, those seems, things seem to be accessed directly through um, doing four things consciously. Number one, um, posture—how you hold your body. Number two, rhythmic, smooth breathing, uh, usually with extended exhale. Number four, some type. Number three, some type of vocalization, whether chanting or the vocalized sound in the breath or the vocalized pranayamas. And the last is behavior. So, for example, gratitude, appreciation, and a feeling of thankfulness will improve certain, um, biophysiological rhythms and patterns in our body, like heart rate variability and the tone of the vagus nerve, for example. And anger and frustration and fatigue, um, will interrupt those patterns. So. Um, these four things, the posture, breathing, vocalization, and behavior are the four foundational group practices within classical Ashtanga yoga. That means not like the branded one, but the general Ashtanga eight-land yoga that is taught in different ways in different places. And those four practices directly are impacting our biophysiological rhythms and patterns and supporting them and making them. Um, more communication friendly, I mean, information flows are, are traveling from the body up to the brain, affecting the, um, com- you know, the way the nervous system is transmitting messages and affecting the way that hormones are being released, and therefore affecting our states of consciousness. Now, our, our homeostatic processes, a homeostasis is the mechanism that keeps our body in balance and is returning us to balance all through the day it basically will know what needs to be addressed. It will know what's off balance. And if it has some support, it'll bring that thing back into balance. So for example, um, homeostasis or the homeostatic functions will know that you need to get more sleep. Um, And if you give your body that support by going to bed at the right time and setting all the conditions you need to for good sleep, getting your seven or eight hours of sleep a night, homeostasis will begin to fine tune you to start feeling better. Um, so, and it will know, like, it's going to encourage you to go to sleep by making you tired and not functioning quite as well. But then we have to respond to that as well and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive about this. And then things come back into balance. So the signals that are being sent by our body to our conscious awareness, we often do not listen to them. We ignore those messages like all the time. Um, if we're hungry and we need to eat, but we want to do some more work. Mm-hmm. We're tired and we need to sleep, but we want to watch one more show on Netflix. Or we're feeling an emotion, but we don't want to express it. Or we're upset about something, but we don't want a confrontation. You know. We, right. we ignore messages all the time because then we don't have to deal. Okay, And just keep going status quo like I want to. And then problems happen. Um, then things fall out of balance. And, um, the, the, you know, the functioning of our body is not going to on its own, just make everything. Okay. We have to cooperate with it. And, and by we, I mean like some conscious decision-making to say, okay, I'm going to help you do the job you need to do to keep me healthy and keep this whole organism of mine functioning. So I can do the things that I want to in my life. Um, and find purpose, find meaning, be happy, connect with people, um, be effective, get things done, um, or just get a good night's sleep. But we had, it, it's a, it's a bi-directional process. And, and this is why the vagus nerve is so interesting because the vagus nerve is a bi-directional nerve messages from the body up to the brain and then from the brain back down to the body. Um, there's this constant communication going back and forth. So and our relationship with that nerve plexus also needs to be bi-directional too. We need to work in conjunction with it
0: i was I was reading recently actually that, so this came up in um, at a festival actually I had a, another teacher friend who actually went into the science of uh, of the breathwork of it and what actually happens to the diaphragm as you take deeper breaths in and out and I myself didn't fully understand the the entire science of it, but it actually goes into massage. Like when you look under an MRI, you can actually see the diaphragm, not only, uh, you know, breathing from left to right, but it also lifts up and down and it ends up massaging or stimulating the vagus nerve mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Sure. And that's what actually helps the body to promote rest. So, you know, when people say, relax, take a deep breath, it's because you're literally, <laughs> you're literally stimulating the system in your body that makes your body go into relaxate.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, um, the, um,
0: you know, the action
1: of the vagus nerve has, um, attaches to the diaphragm and it also has a lot of nerves that are going down into the intestines and the abdominal region. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, um, the vagus nerve below the diaphragm, these are unmyelinated nerve sheets, uh, slower acting nerve messages, and they're also largely related to the, sympathetic nervous system and fight or flight that's why uh, when you get a big fright you feel it in your belly or your belly drops or um you know if you have a huge scare you might lose control of the bowels for example um sure so smooth rhythmic breathing where the abdomen is coming in and out is sending messages of rhythmicity to all the vagal nerves in the intestines or in in the entire abdominal cavity and those messages of rhythmicity are getting sent up to the brain to tell the brain you know everything is okay you can be calm Mm -hmm. you can be safe in this place and then you also have the movement of the diaphragm and the nerves that are attached to the diaphragm from the vagus are myelinated so they're sending faster messages up to the brain um they are also sending um the same messages of rhythmicity and the vagus nerve attached to the heart also primarily is the thing which is going to slow the heart rate down on the exhale. Uh, and then that break will release a little and allow the heart to speed up on the inhale. And so this sm- smooth rhythmic breaths are also going to give, um, very good heart rate variability and, um, the combination of all those things is going to relate to or, or give you a, a very calm, relaxed, um, you know, toned state of your nervous system. Uh, the diaphragm is a fascinating muscle because it does move up and down. It does move side to side. And, um, but you have your liver attached to the diaphragm on the right-hand side. So with every inhale and exhale, your liver is actually getting massaged. And the pericardium is resting directly on the diaphragm, too. So as you inhale and exhale, you know, you you're basically your diaphragm is breathing your heart at the same time. So all there's all this interesting like organ innervation which is happening through the act of slow rhythmic breathing. Um, that's why it's one of the best things you can do, and it's one of the things that directly impacts the nervous system because there are so many inputs being affected, um, simultaneously.
0: So we can find, oh, actually there's, there's two parts I wanted to do to this. I was hoping that one, you could guide us to like a 30 second quick breath exercise. And then two, I guess we could find all this in the book. Yeah. All the information about the breath work and how it works and, and why it's actually working in the body. Yeah. Yeah, You can find all that in, in the book. One simple thing. Awesome. I love that. I love that. And then I was going to ask if I can put you on the spot. Can you guide us through a 30 second uh, breathing exercise so that we can actually feel this? Um,
1: So you
0: can sit comfortably or you can lie down on your back.
1: And um, if you like, you can let your hands or one hand rest gently on your belly. And as you inhale, take a slow breath. And feel like you're directing your breath high in your nasal cavity where the sense of smell is. And when you exhale, keep your awareness high in the nasal cavity as well. So you're not thinking about your lungs really at all here. I'm um, just letting the breath ri- rise high into the nasal cavity, like you're smelling the scent of a rose or smelling some freshly baked bread or gluten free bread if you're gluten free but like a nice scent that you might want to grasp hold of. And where would you smell that? In the nose. Direct the breath to that area. And then when you exhale, keep your awareness there and feel your belly pulling in gently as you exhale. So it's a relaxed, smooth inhale. And then a slow, steady exhale. And maybe let your exhale be a little bit longer than your inhale, by about one or two seconds. You don't have to be sitting up too straight for this. And if it's helpful for you, you can count the length of your inhale, counting up to five or counting up to six. And then count the length of your exhale. Exhaling for, if you were inhaling for five, then exhale for six or seven. If you inhale for six, then go for seven or eight. And then just do that one more time. And then relax your breathing to a normal pattern.
0: Okay. There you go. And now we all have a a little bit of Zen. (laughs) A little bit. I love that. How's that? Okay. It's perfect. It's so, it's, it's just so nice to, you know, there's a lot of um, I think it's really easy to get caught up in like, you know, new agey and there's so much out there these days. And I think, you know, even myself as a practitioner and as a teacher, you know, we don't really hear all the science or get to hear all the science behind how this stuff actually works and how, For instance, how a meditation actually changes your brain. Um, And the same with breath. Like we know that we're told to breathe and we know that we're told to take deep breaths in, but you know, sometimes when you're frustrated or when you're going through it and someone tells you to take a deep breath, you're like, that doesn't work. (laughs) And so to hear and really understand hear and really understand why it works and how it works, I think is pretty sweet because it empowers, you know, not only teachers, but also us practitioners. And even those that don't necessarily practice yoga every day, you now have this tool and this technique to get you into a more, um, you know, restful state and, and a, and a place where you can actually, you know, make some conscious decisions versus, you know, flying off the cuff. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and it works pretty quickly. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I totally—I was doing it. I was doing it with us, and I was like, "Wow!" I, even myself, as—and I do this all the time. But it was nice to just uh, be able to experience that with you. Thank you for sharing that, Eddie. You know, when you—you're welcome. And when you inhale high into your
1: nasal cavity near the olfactory nerves, the olfactory bulb is um, sits very close to the hypothalamus, where we process memory. So, hidden mm-hmm. high up into the nasal cavity is said to like stimulate memory. And states of consciousness.
0: Interesting. I love that. I love that. Well, I can't wait to, to dive into your book. I haven't had a chance to, to get into it mainly because, you know, summertime is, is a little bit nuts and crazy, but it's next on my list. And I can't wait to uh, to share the links to the book with, with the listeners as well. Um, and I just can't thank you enough for, for taking the time, um, out of your day. I know you've got a lot going on and you're super busy and I'm sure New York keeps you super busy. <laughs> that city never stops. Uh,
1: no, I'm living a pretty chill life right now in New York. Um, oh, that's you know, nice. <laughs>
0: it's a little bit of uh, calm in the chaos. No, huh?
1: it is. I'm, you know, I teach for one week each month in Manhattan now instead of every day. And, um, and then I travel for about, uh, one or one week or 10 days out of the month. And then the rest of the month, um, I'm here, you know, working on stuff and catching up and um, doing things like this. So it's, you know, after after pushing hard for a really long time, this is a nice little bit of a downshift. And it gives me time to, you know, meet people like you and do things
0: like this. And I didn't really have time for this kind of stuff before when I was teaching so much every day. So I like it. That's great. And I think, you know, your your all your knowledge is, is super important and it's so valuable. And I'm I'm glad that you now have the time and the space to to share it with us. And I just can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show today and, and sharing sharing it all. We finally got to connect. It's been for the listeners out there. I've been trying to connect with Eddie for, for quite a little bit. I've heard amazing things about him. Um, and so we now get to speak to him. So thank you so much again for coming on the show, Eddie. I really appreciate all your wisdom and, and just taking the time out.
1: Thanks a lot for having me on, Danny. And talk to you again soon.
0: Thank you so much again for listening to the show. Um, I'll just say it one more time. Listen, we have an opportunity to come together and really take our our, uh, practice into the world. And so if you are around San Francisco on September 28th, we would love to see you at One Love SF. It is going to be an awesome time. You can follow the links below. You can check out my Instagram. You can check out my website. It is all over the place, but we're going to be raising some money for a really good cause Till the next session. Peace out.